Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma here on opening day eve as we record. Um, I can't even remember what opening day eve felt like last year, you know, like before the <laughs> the stub partial season. I mean, we were all like living very much in pandemic mode, but like, I don't recall feeling like, like, like I know generally I was thinking, oh, thank God baseball is back. Just give me something to watch and do. But I don't remember specifically like right before the opener ha- having this like seminal moment of uh, I'm going to remember today it's coming back. So I wonder if if you, it was just different because everything was different. Um, <laughs> but I'm also finding today, you know, I mentioned that now because like it still feels a little weird it still doesn't feel like a normal like day before opening day um that i'm gonna be you know reacting in the same way that i would have two years ago three years ago and i don't know if that's a pandemic thing if it's a the situation the cubs are in right now thing combination of both uh but yeah i i bet i'm not the only one sensing that that it feels a little weird as like the day before opening day yeah i you know i i agree and i just figured it's because i just got home from spring training and uh, usually uh, i don't know i i feel like uh, patrick and i have a lot of a lot of things like up in the air that we're working on so i thought that's what it was but i think you're right there is more to it than that there's just there's not that same feeling just yet. Uh, maybe it'll happen once the season starts, when, when we're actually there. Maybe it'll happen in, when when we're in the middle of the summer and the ballpark is packed and the sun is out. I think that's part of it, too. Like, I want to see the ballpark packed and the sun out again and, and you know, Wrigley like we haven't seen since 2019, right? I mean, it's going to be nice to see some fans at Wrigley. It's going to be nice that we have baseball again in April, but it's, I, I think that, I think that will be a big point for me, like turning the corner of like, look at this, it's, this park is full as much as it can drive me nuts when I'm trying to do my job, <laughs> trying to get down to the clubhouse or something like that. It's, you know, there's a certain energy about it that that's very never, different and rare. Wah, never wah. forget Cubs. Yeah. Never forget Cubs fans. Sahada yeah. hates you. Like just don't, don't ever, don't ever forget. <laughs> I know how you all love to hear about my complaints about trying to get down to the, the clubhouse. <laughs> well, I think too, to your breath, your point, Brad, of like last year, there was just, so much uncertainty of like, could baseball actually pull this off? And oh yeah, the, uh, I forgot. Like, like the this house, te- oh, yeah. the, the stuff testing goes from your mind. delays yeah. of the, there was stuff at the end of summer camp, wasn't there? Like that's when we started to already get trickling out of a positive test here and right. Oh yeah, There's a lot of anxiety to it all. Uh-huh. That's totally what it and is. And it was Chris Bryant's point of like, this is supposed to be the easy part. We're all here, no one's traveling, and the Cubs. I want to say it might have been like three or four workouts were either pushed back or maybe one was canceled. I forget the exact details, oh, but there was they couldn't get the test results back in time. That there was the lag Remember time, that? and yes. then uh, so I, I think that was kind of the thing of just like, is this just like a terrible idea? Like, is someone or a staffer, uh, you know, an older, more vulnerable staffer, like going to die on Major League Baseball's watch? Like, is that is this something that like baseball is kind of willing to risk? And I think to their credit, basically up until Justin Turner's like, you know, super spreader roll of the dice, Major League Baseball did a really <laughs> good job 
with those protocols. Yeah, that's a good call. It wasn't just that we weren't hyped. We were excited baseball was coming back, but it was. There was this entire undercurrent layer of like, oh, cool, it's back for what, a day, two days? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think it's interesting because that part of what we were feeling, I, I don't want to say it's entirely gone, but it seems nobody's really thinking about like, oh crap, the whole season's going to get shut down this year. And it's more like, you know, as far as the pandemic goes, it's more about like, can we get enough players vaccinated so that in addition to the obvious health-related positive outcomes, but once enough people get vaccinated, it's like, well, you're not going to get the season shut down because like just aren't going to be outbreaks. Um, And we don't have to, we don't need to get into all of that now because that's been a talking point obviously for 12 months. But that is... Yeah, I think it is reasonable to say that, um, like you have referenced the undercurrent of the pandemic, Mooney, and like you said, Sahadev, the fact that it's still not like a full ballpark, even if you're not going to the ballpark, it still feels like a partial foot toe back in the pool, as opposed to just jumping into the splash, which is what opening day usually is. Opening day is usually a cannonball off the diving board, like you're back into it. Whereas now it's sort of like, well, some of us are in the pool and some of us aren't yet. And some of us can't be yet. And um, yeah. All right. I think, I think we've, we've sized that up. And so now we can uh, turn to the other really uh, thrilling subject. And I'll be, I'll just be fascinated to hear your guys's <laughs> at a distance reactions to this. And I'll try to, to carry the banner of the fan reaction to it. But so obviously opening day tomorrow, it uh, marks not only the start of the season, but for a lot of players, it is the time at which they'd like to stop thinking about contracts and stop talking about that stuff and just focus on baseball for the year ahead. And while for some players, that means a super hard cutoff, no more extension negotiations, no more talk of that. Uh, for others, it's a little softer. It's like, you know, if, if something changes, come to me if you want, but otherwise I'm just going to play baseball. Um But in either case, there has long been an expectation among fans that at a minimum, among the many, many players entering their walk year, well, of course, they were going to get a deal done with Anthony Rizzo. I mean, you know, we can say probably not with Bryant, you know, probably not with any of the the imported players from this offseason. Javi Baez, kind of a question mark. But I mean, obviously, they're going to get a deal done with Rizzo before the season because that's just, you know, he's he is the cubs you you can't it it is almost unfathomable to think about him actually playing as a walk year player and then actually meeting with teams and free agency and all of these things um and yet the 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 very real possibility of that becoming our reality kicked in uh this week and i'll let you guys talk about sort of uh what rizzo was saying and where the reporting has gone and all that but as we sit here day before opening day it seems highly unlikely that a deal will actually get done before tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I, it, that that's one of those things that just seems like it would have gotten done by now or or would feel a lot more optimistic at this point. But I think uh, Rizzo was pretty clear without crossing a line, without ripping the team, without uh, being super <laughs> negative about anything. I, I think his, his feelings were clear on the subject that, you know, what was offered wasn't wasn't acceptable in his eyes and and he's gonna go about his business playing the season as he should and you know I get where he's coming from 
And as much as uh, there are real issues with the way players are treated uh, and the way players are played or paid and the way, you know, service time is manipulated, all those different things and and uh, wages are suppressed in various different ways. Uh, I think it's it's hard to to find, look at this in a perfect uh, comp of of, you know, Paul Goldschmidt or Freddie Freeman because of the pandemic right and i think because of where we are because of what uh may be coming in the off season in 2021 with a shut with you know a lockout a, a strike whatever it may be we have cba negotiations coming up this is a very unique situation so just to say that look at what paul goldschmidt got from the cardinals or look at what freddie freeman uh, can get uh, it, it just doesn't feel like a one-to-one comp anymore so I think that really uh, blurs this up a bit and, oh and, and let it, me it, it, let me just yeah. add to that real quick so that uh, I have responses to that and we'll get to that I have, like like pushback against that but one additional point to what you're saying is this is not unique to the Cubs there have been yeah. extraordinarily few extensions starting last year and through this spring training far fewer than you would otherwise typically expect. So it's, there clearly is a a bigger picture issue happening. Yeah. And I guess ultimately for me, and this is, uh, this is all to say, uh, I think the Cubs should pay Anthony Rizzo and and make sure that a, a deal gets done. I also, I also wonder like what he would get in the open market. What is it that, that, uh, a first baseman, you know, on the wrong side of 30 gets on the open market anymore. I don't really, I'm trying to think of a comp of that. Uh, you know, when was the last time we saw a first baseman like that hit the market? Uh, it, like, I'm just, I, I don't know what that number would look like on the open market anymore. And I think that's what makes this difficult for me to say like that. I, I do think it's a low ball offer. You well, know, say what it, the offer is. Like for the, anyone who five hasn't seen for, it. Well, it. was five for 70, correct? Uh, that's the initial offer that's been that uh, we've reported at the athletic and I yeah that's that's low that's that's not uh, I'm sure uh, Rizzo and his people were not uh, were taken aback by that number so and and I get why they would be I just wonder if if uh, pushing for what is it 130 and five that's the gold the Goldschmidt deal that's and, the Goldschmidt to, deal to lay out the comp there are there are some perfect parallels. It was a year before free agency, a year before age 32 season, both exactly the same for Rizzo. The performances are similar, similar consistency, uh, high level success, both defensively and offensively. Um, Goldschmidt consistently producing a little higher offensive output. Uh, Rizzo maybe a little bit more decorated defensively. And Rizzo was not a brand new arrival in an organization. He's a beloved face of an organization. And so while I think basically any impartial observer you could talk to would say, yeah, and this is this is ignoring the pandemic impact. You'd say, yeah, I don't know if a Goldschmidt deal is a reasonable comp, but you could argue like, okay, well, we, we can work off of that. You know, we can sort of, you know, play with those numbers and um, that, that I think is a big part of what has thrown people so much is just how tremendously far this was from a Goldschmidt deal from two years ago. Yeah, I think my my outrage meter isn't quite there yet. I understand why people have kind of read the coverage and seen the details trickle out. I think it is probably a, 
a really complicated situation in that, you know, if you're Jed Hoyer, do you totally trust that your payroll is going to go all the way back to where you think it should be uh, after seeing kind of the parameters you were given at the beginning of the offseason and then how things opened up, uh, you know, in, in late January. Uh, I do think the Cubs, in this case, have to get credit for already extending Anthony Rizzo. I think people look at it like, you know, I think sometimes forget that, that they've, this will be, I think, year 10 for him. Not that the deal lasted that long, but that Anthony, you know, signed this deal. Um, it's been a great deal for both sides. Uh, at that time, he was not a proven commodity. Uh, I think in some ways the Cubs did build up Anthony Rizzo into this brand that he is kind of, you know, leveraging now. Um, and at the same time, he does great work in the community. He's a you know perfect ambassador for this team, a person they want to, uh, should want to, build around and like okay if if he's at a press conference you know in in december or january putting on a marlins hat and a marlins jersey with a deal you know that that uh you know seems a little light um or if you know they kind of extend themselves in a way that the cubs did not then sure i mean rip the cubs all you want i mean when John Lester walks, basically begs for another year at Wrigley, and they say, uh, here's kind of this at the last minute, but we can't do $5 million for one. Like, that's when, you know, the Cubs should feel that backlash and that negative publicity. I'm personally not quite there yet, but, yeah, I mean, 5 and 70, I mean, it just looks bad. I mean, it just <laughs> even if there was room to negotiate, even if there were escalators, even if it was front-loaded, like – uh, just on the surface, right at this moment, not a good look. Uh, yeah, fourteen million AAV on that is is the part that for me was just uh, I don't know. I, I was I was embarrassed as a, a, a theoretically a pundit who was trying to analyze earlier in the day, like okay, here's how you could negotiate from here and here and here. And my at least at an AAV level, I was thinking very short term. If the Cubs were like okay, if they were going to get really aggressive with an ask and then play up from there. Even in that world, I had a much higher AAV in mind. And so I was a little embarrassed, not, I mean, arguably for the Cubs, but for myself that I was like, oh God, I'm way off. Um, okay. So let me, if, if you don't mind, let me offer some additional reactions from someone who, although I write about the team, I write about the team from a fan perspective because I am um, unapologetically a fan. And so um, while I won't claim to speak for every fan, I can speak for a lot of the reaction that I was seeing yesterday and a lot of what this story tells us about the Cubs and and where the Cubs are right now. And it kind of goes something like this. I thought the article at the athletic that presented that offer, great reporting. I I don't know who initially got it. It was Rosenthal was on it. Were you on it, Mooney? Was it you? I mean, Rosenthal did most of the heavy lifting, but uh, it it was Rizzo's. I mean, Rizzo, I think, in terms of how that story was presented, Rizzo's voice, I think, did a good job of maybe smoothing some of that out. And I thought Anthony came across very uh, professional and measured uh, and thoughtful that I think you know, maybe diffused 
some of it to a degree. I don't know. And I can't, and look, I mean, I live on Twitter. I, I have to, but also I just do. And like the, a Twitter Cubs fan is not the same as a regular Cubs fan is not the same as a baseball fan is not the same as a regular person. So I can't act like I don't live and travel in a world that is oftentimes divorced from reality. But um, I appreciated in the article, the mention of DJ LeMayhew and, and as a, not a direct comp for Anthony Rizzo. They're very different players, but as a guy who hit free agency at 30 and in this environment, the upside in the bat is similar and, and playing quality second base is just more valuable than first base. Um, and he got six years of 90 million from the Yankees uh, where there was not nearly the same level of affection, but, but similar They're, They'd have a really good relationship and fans really loved that guy. And he only gets a 15 million AAV. And so I appreciated that discussion in the article as a, as a grounding point for the question that you offered, Sahadev, which is, okay, let's imagine a world where Rizzo goes out this year, has a great season, has a very Anthony Rizzo-like season, and hits free agency, maybe with a qualifying offer attached, though we can't even get down that rabbit hole because who knows what the CBA does to that world. But, but here's the thing. And I think the Royals with Sal Perez exemplified this very well. They overpaid like crazy on that extension they just signed with him. Okay, it was one of the few extensions signed. And I am just saying, I'm flat out saying it. It was an overpayment like crazy. If you are only analyzing the baseball context and projecting out a player's performance and his value relative to the environment that we think we're going to be in in the next five years and all that and all that. But that's not what Sal Perez is to the Royals. And it turns out that even if you are just operating a business, some players have more value to you than anywhere else in the world. And I won't pretend that I can put the X's and O's on that and say what the added value is to the organization of having Anthony Rizzo continue to be associated with them, but it ain't zero. And it's a hell of a lot more than it is to other teams. And so when I think about this world where it's like, okay, let's evaluate this offer relative to other comps, relative to his free agency, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't do that. I'm not saying that doesn't have value, but I am saying that really loses sight of what it is that we're doing when we play baseball and we have baseball teams where the whole basis, the whole reason it exists is to entertain and engage fans. That's why there is a sport. That's why it exists. And so I feel like, and I'm not saying this is Jed Hoyer or the Cubs executives necessarily. This is a baseball wide thing. I think we've gotten so tunnel visioned on efficiency in service of wins that we've forgotten that, yeah, winning is winning's important because that's fun to fans. We like to see wins. We enjoy it. But that's the starting point. Wins aren't the starting point. The starting point is what do we do to engage and entertain our fans? And although winning is probably like 90% of that, the other 10% is we'd like to enjoy the players that we're watching. We like to be happy about the things that we're experiencing and no player in the last, I don't know, 20 plus years better embodies that connection between what a fan wants to experience with their team and what a player is than Anthony Rizzo. Like I just, that's the part of it that feels like it hasn't been really well articulated by anybody involved in this process that that made that offer 570, however you could bet best, you know, say that it's, that it's actually a really fair offer for all the following reasons. That's the part that made it feel like such a gut punch to fans who were looking at it from the outside, because it's like, this is a time when analysis 
should take a back seat to doing what you need to do to get it done. And look, I'm a real, I live in the real world. I know that Anthony Rizzo and his camp know all of this. And so if you're negotiating, you're in, you're going to push for a little bit more knowing that all of this stuff is true. And I think the Cubs know that this stuff is true. I don't think they're idiots. I think they know everything that I'm saying. Maybe they may not understand the scale to which I'm saying it, but they do understand it. And so that complicates negotiations too. But I'm just telling you to the Cubs, that's why people react the way they do. That's why yesterday was a total shit show. Um, and, and Monday, whatever it wasn't yesterday. See, it, it carried over to yesterday, but Monday was a total shit show because it felt like the team was not properly thinking about the reality of what Anthony Rizzo is beyond his performance on the field. Yeah, I think this Ooh. is a good test for us to find, uh, to figure out how dedicated Jed Hoyer is to efficiency, like you said, stuff like that. You know, like you really want a streamlined operation. You want to make sure you're financially flexible. All these things that uh, I think really turn off a lot of fans and, and make people's eyes glaze over when you really have to think about it, but that a lot of front offices are obsessed with, right? This is what, what are the things that, that and Theo said this flat out, uh, probably in the off season before the 2014 season, where he talked about how there are two major currencies in baseball, and it's financial flexibility and it's uh, young talent on the verge or that just made the major leagues, like high end talent that's at you know double triple A or just started in the big leagues. And, and money, like if you have a lot of money to spend and if you have those types of players, which the Cubs did back, like the next offseason, right? He was basically projecting what the next offseason would look like when that offseason they didn't do anything. And I think I do believe Jed Jed wants both those things again. I, I think he can look at his uh, the organization as it is right now, and it's not where he wants it to be in those two areas. Uh so how dedicated is he to that and how much is he willing to kind of dismiss sentimentality? I think we're going to find that out. Uh, or, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, how much is Anthony Rizzo worth when talking about what you just talked about, Brett? How much more money does he deserve? Does that is that the Paul Goldschmidt deal? He's worth that extra 60 million right there. Let's say he's probably worth normally like more than the 70, right? Maybe the 70 is a little bit under. Uh, what he's worth. So is it is it worth an extra, you know, say he's 90, 90 and, and six is is what he should be getting or something like that. Is it 150, 160? What what is the number, right? That that is the extra amount that uh, because he's Mr. Cub 2.0 that he that he deserves. I don't know what that number is. My guess is people that are in front offices are, are that number is pretty low in their minds. So I, I don't. Uh, it, I understand why fans are frustrated. Uh, I just don't know where this goes. I don't know what which direction baseball will take this. I appreciate what a team like the Royals are doing. I also wonder how much they're going to be handcuffing themselves in the future. Will their owner just say like, yeah, well, that's Sal Perez deal. It's actually this much. And we paid the extra sentimentality, but we're just throwing that out the window and you have that money still to spend. I think fans would be frustrated if an owner suddenly said, well, we, we gave the we gave the fans what they wanted in Rizzo, but now we can't get X, Y and Z. Right. So you want you want to find a way to have both. 
which I think fans should de- demand. I, I get that. Uh, I just don't know if that is realistic and if that can happen. Well, this just goes back to the Cubs essentially pissing away almost all of their goodwill since winning the 2016 World Series. And, you know, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. And, you know, fans see a team that seems to be really, really interested in, in real estate and, you know, a new TV network. Um, you know, people could understand, you know, maybe the Jake Arrieta decision because they were bringing in you Darvish. That certainly kind of softened that blow of a, of a World Series fan favorite. But you just traded you Darvish primarily for financial reasons. Um, we've gone through this for a couple off seasons now. Uh, obligatory Daniel Descalso reference uh, of that being kind of the biggest multi-year deal uh, for a while and you know a front office that uh clearly manipulated chris bryant's service time even though an arbitrator uh ruled otherwise so yeah i think all of these things kind of go into what was an understandable reaction and you know sahadev ken rosenthal and i were kind of going through all a lot of these points on a text message change of figuring out how to like ultimately present all of the material that the three of us had gathered kind of during spring training. And when it came to a head and uh, I think the bottom line was that the Cubs credibility on this matter probably can't be at a a lower point uh, right now. Okay. Um, I think we could probably leave the Rizzo stuff there largely because it's going to come up again and again, because that's what happens when a guy's in a walk here and there's been extension conversations uh, that didn't come to fruition. And, you know, we saw it with Joe Madden's final year. It was, you know, (laughs) really annoying to have to talk about it all the time. Uh, We knew it was coming with Theo Epstein. Uh, Now we're going to get to do it with the players. And we knew it was coming with like Chris Bryant and maybe Javi Baez. But I got to tell you, it's going to be a million times more annoying with Anthony Rizzo. I promise you. He's going to have a week where he doesn't hit and he's going to get asked reasonably about like, you know, hey, you know, you you know, and then the fan discourse is going to be the most painful <laughs> experience. I'm going to have to wade through that crap. So mostly I'm just pissed that the Cubs didn't get a deal done because now I'm going to have to deal with this like every day until a deal is done. Uh, but let's let's leave it there. Wait, should we should we just thank Theo for making for allowing us to not have to deal with him? Uh, you know, his walk year issues like we'd be talking. That should be one more thing on the pile. So, oh God, thank you, Theo, for for stepping away a year early, making sure we don't have to go through that discourse for an entire season. We we avoided it. We That's got true. one Very- thing. We got to avoid one. But maybe we could have bundled it. You know what I mean? Like maybe it actually would have been gentler because it's like, well, it's everybody. It's everybody. It's just too much stuff. It's yeah. Zadov you know. uh, and I took turns for weeks this off season being like, like who asked Theo if he still worked for the Cubs the last time? So we tried to like space it out so that it wasn't just like one of us having like six or seven text cha- texts on the thread being like, do you still work for the Cubs? Are you still in charge? And we kind of like went back and forth. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I when he, when he resigned, he texted something like, yeah, so I don't work. I don't work for the Cubs anyway. It was something along those lines. I've talked to Jed now. 
like I'm done. <laughs> oh, and that reminds me, you there's a there's a great piece at the Athletic right now. Head over, check it out about the transition from Theo Epstein to Jed Hoyer and how the sort of similarities, differences, all that stuff. And it's, it's a pretty good, I think, piece for people to, to take in before the start of the season. And also while we're plugging athletic stuff, the interview that, that he did on the podcast with Jason Stark and Doug Glanville, uh, Theo did also excellent. Great. It's, um, you know, since we're a Cubs podcast, I'll note it's kind of light on Cubs specific stuff, but, uh, obviously Theo's discourse on the state of baseball and his role with major league baseball in helping move, uh, advance the cause of action on the field. Uh, fantastic. I mean, he just, he has a way of articulating that stuff that makes you be like, okay, you know what, actually I kind of, that's a good point. Uh, he and I are similar that way. So, uh, (laughs) let's, uh, I guess we'll, you know, it's going to be a nice long podcast. It should be. It's a season preview type deal. It'd be long. But anything you want to say, we've been obviously previewing the Cubs season all of spring training. But here on the eve, uh, anything, let's set it up this way. Anything changed for you in your expectations, either at a micro level, an individual player you want to talk about, or just at a, a macro for the Cubs, what you expect in the first half of the season, anything in that vein that you want to hit on and get down on tape before the season starts so that you can point at it later and be like, I said that. Uh, I always seem to uh, seem to fall in love with the random reliever during the, during the spring. And I think in 2019, it was Kyle Ryan, and I got that right. Last year, it was Casey Sadler, and I got it wrong. Uh, this year, I'm I'm going back to the lefty, and I'm going with Rex Brothers. And I, I, I know he's not a sexy name, uh, but I... I was fascinated by by you know his mechanical changes and the confidence he kind of displayed while I talked to him about that. And he's a guy that's I mean he's a lefty that throws ninety five and he, his biggest issue has been he can't throw strikes and now he's throwing strikes. That's interesting. That's interesting to me. He's got a he's got a fastball that has nice characteristics. He's got a breaking ball that can miss bats. That that's a good reliever in my mind. If, if he can stay healthy and and keep that up, I don't see why he can't why why he can't thrive as a bullpen piece. You know, uh, other than that, like I, I I think I'm I'm still very concerned about the offense. I, I know there's so much talent, and I won't pinpoint and say this guy's gonna have a bad season when he should be great. I don't know who it it is going to be or how it's going to fall apart, so to say, but I just cannot, like, I've spent every year the past five years saying this is the year that this offense becomes a consistent Goliath, and I can't do it, and I won't pinpoint and say it's going to be Bryant that has a bad year or Javi that has a bad year or Jock Peterson won't live up to a, a monster spring training that he just had. I don't know what it's going to be. I just have this feeling that again in six months from now or, or three months from now we're going to say here it is again we cannot watch a consistent offense on the north side of chicago it's maddening right it's just i i just have this nagging feeling that yet again it's going to happen yeah i mean the three of us all like get paid money to follow the cubs year round and like it's our job our livelihood and you know we are in theory experts on this subject matter and i just don't even have like a good gut feeling on what's going to happen this year. Like I, I really wouldn't be too surprised in any direction. And, you know, I feel like the pitching could totally implode, but I felt that way like pretty much every year since like 
the Cubs kept drafting college hitters like, oh, this is the year it's going to catch up to them, and it, and it hasn't, and it's been this offense that Sahadev's talking about. Uh, I'm just looking forward to, like, seeing them go out and do it or not. Uh, you know, it's kind of spring training. Not that I was there the whole time, but at a certain point, you just get tired of kind of the the happy talk and the positivity and the talk of adjustments or what their off-season routine was. It's just like these are – professionals some of these guys were you know a lot of these guys were, were all-star players they've got a ton of playoff experience it's like all right let's go do it I don't want to hear about you know the video room last year about not playing with no fans and I get there was a lot of mental stress uh, of playing through a pandemic last year um I'm just kind of over that and I just want to see you know if these Cubs are good or not I really want to see them make it a, a really hard decision on the front office and to have Jed kind of sweating in, in around the all-star break late July and see if he would actually do a white flag <laughs> trade or uh, if this team does show enough to kind of earn the chance to not be you know blown up. And, and I think that'll be kind of a, a fascinating dynamic here this year. That's definitely going to be the big overarching story of the first half is how good do the Cubs have to be and how good do they have to look to avoid the, the sell-off? Um, and what does the sell-off market even look like this year? I think last year was so weird, both because of the timing and the pandemic, that I think we haven't had time to adjust to the, you know, the, the rental market is always evolving in baseball. It's always like shifting in various directions and the value of prospects is getting steeper and steeper. And so I, I wonder, like, it's, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, you know, it's, they're going to sell off because they got all these walkier guys. Um, but sometimes you, when you actually get there, you find that even if you want to sell off, the, the value you could get in return is not worth the disruption and the unhappiness and the long-term effects that can have of being, of sort of sending out the vibe that, nope, we're actually not a player first organization. We're just this cold calculating uh, group that's, that had a great crew and now we're tearing it apart. Uh, I forgot to add that to my Anthony Rizzo screed. It was also that about the, the value of <laughs> reminding people that you're a player first organization and you, you remind your young players that you take care of your veterans and all these things. Uh, sorry. I know I said I was going to leave it, but, um, <laughs> but as for the season, one thing that we probably don't talk about enough is that the, the big breakouts last year for Ian Happ and Jason Hayward are probably extremely important for this year. And, and understandably, other guys get the focus because like the variability in their performance, the upside, the walkier stuff, all of that like gets the attention. I get it. I participate in it. But we probably shouldn't lose sight of the fact that those were the two clear best hitters on the Cubs last year. And if they were to replicate that performance this year, that could do a lot to outweigh, even if some of other guys are still trending downward. So I, I look forward to seeing how those two do in particular. And I think the starting staff, if healthy, is uh, might be sneaky good um, relative to what the expectations are. Um, anything else you guys want to hit up on the season preview front before I mention that we we got some listener mail that we can uh, can hit on? You know, because remember we put out the call for. I'll, I'll say one more thing, uh, and just in defense of David Bodie getting a shot. Uh, I got a lot of people saying, how many times does a guy break out at 28 or whatever he is, 28 or 29? It doesn't happen a lot, but it, this is what the Cubs have been complaining about for years. They want to be able to develop players, continue developing players at the major league level. Like They look at teams like the Yankees. 
the athletics and uh there's one other organization the, the Dodgers they they all I mean look at Max Muncie look at Justin Turner look at Gio Urshela uh Mark Kana uh, like these guys are were not good players in their mid 20s they were part-time players or just irrelevant players and and now they're all all-stars to MVP caliber players right I'm not saying that's what David Bodie will be I'm saying he deserves a shot to find out what the heck he is. I don't know what he is. He completely changed who he was supposed to be in the minors. He's not even supposed to be a major leaguer. So why why should we why should we decide that this guy has a ceiling now uh, that he already broke past one ceiling? He can't do it again. Let's just see what he is. Uh, that's a, I, I think it's fair it's, uh, to see what David Bowie can be. I have no idea if it'll be anything special or anything more, or if he'll just get exposed by playing every day, which is often the case with bench players, right? Uh, that you like, uh, but I, I think I, I'm curious to see how that goes. I, I, uh, I could see it going either direction, uh, very bad, very poorly, or, or he just takes to it and, and continues to work. And, and that's one thing I've, I've heard a lot. Uh, this guy puts his head down and just works his butt off to try and become a better player. So, uh, let's see if he can actually accomplish that. Uh, yeah, good, good call on Bodie. I think, um, you know, it understandably gets framed in a lot of like, he's earned this chance and that kind of thing. But um, that being true, it's also true that the Cubs kind of need to know what they have in him because they have him locked up for a few more years. And if he were to break out and be a regular, like that's really a valuable information to have heading into next year because you've got all these guys potentially leaving. Well, you might have second base or third base locked up. So um, yeah, definitely important information to have. And um you know, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world for him to turn into a quality regular. Uh, so yeah, like I mentioned, uh, listener mail, you know, we put out the call, um, last week for folks so that if they, um, wanted to, to, to hit us up with an email at wavelandathletic at gmail.com, they could send us and Jamie in Victoria, British Columbia. See, we're, we're international. This is an international podcast. Uh, send us a message. I just <laughs> wanted to read, um, So uh, here is uh, from Jamie. Uh, I've been a Cubs fan for close to 40 years, and I'm very appreciative of the work you three do and the rest of the athletic and Bleacher Nation teams. I have never been more informed on my favorite team. Uh, A few things I'd love to hear discussed. Chris Bryant's plate approach. Uh, uh, Jamie's not a big fan of all the negativity that has surrounded KB. Uh, Concerned about the nagging injuries. Understanding that the Cubs are reluctant to throw a long-term deal. But Kind of want to have a deeper dive on uh, what's happening to the disappearance of his all-fields approach as he's gotten older. Um, and uh, at the minor league level, Victoria or Jamie from Victoria would love to hear a little bit more on uh, what's going to happen with the minor league teams this year, how specific players are doing, what our coverage might look like on the pod. And I'll speak to that, that, yeah, definitely at some point this year, we should dedicate some chunks of time to uh, the minor league side in prospect development because we haven't had it for like over a year. So like I can say I'm personally really stoked to have the minor leagues back because that's a really, really fun thing for me to follow. Um, As for uh, Chris Bryant stuff, uh, anything you guys want to say in particular about, I mean, certainly his, his approach at the plate has evolved considerably as, as his time has gone on and you could track sort of a decline in overall performance with a decline in an all fields approach. Um, I think I know that you guys would probably say, and I'd probably agree that those are coincidental tracking items as opposed to there being a relationship there. But um, yeah, any, any thoughts on, on the, 
the the plate development uh, all fields changes that we've seen from yeah. Chris Bryant? It's something that actually I talked to a scout with uh, about recently in the sense that we didn't have a neither of us had a conclusion to it, but we were both like this guy was I remember him in the minors and he used to hit opposite field home runs and he used to have power to all fields like there was an opposite field approach. I don't know when that stopped exactly, but I want to say he's had good seasons since uh, it kind of stopped. I believe 2017 is when it was really like he's not doing anything to the opposite field anymore. And that was a great season uh, production. That was the year I think if the lack of production. Yeah, if you remember, um, it, there was like a tracking item where it was like Chris Bryant has not had an extra base hit to the opposite field yes. all year. And it basically exactly I think, what I was thinking the whole year. And he was still good. Yeah. And he was still a great player. I think this is just his game now, and he can still be successful. And I think if you want to uh, pick apart why he hasn't been successful at different times, I, I really think the basic answer is he hasn't been healthy. When he's struggled, there's been some reason why. Usually, it's bigger than what we realized at the time, uh, which is frustrating to learn about later and then say, well... Okay, you were kind of, you know, poo-pooing that injury or the team was whatever. And now it's, you know, it was clearly more significant and hindering your play. Uh, I I, I don't know if he can stay healthy for a full season anymore. Who knows? I I don't, you know, those were all kind of random weird injuries. So uh, it'd be unfair to just say that he's... uh, He's injury prone in that sense, uh, but clearly he's a guy that needs to be healthy to really produce at a high level. Uh, So let's see what he can do. I I think, but I don't think he's going to be going back to an opposite field approach. I I just don't think that's his game anymore. Uh, He's, you know, his, his, he, he excels when he's pulling the ball or hitting it to dead center field has that loft and and really gets a hold of a ball, you know, barrels it up and 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 sends it deep. He's got to be healthy to do that. He's got a unique swing and it's it's not something that uh that we're used to seeing really. Like uh, I've talked to a lot of scouts and and uh, asked them about his swing and they're like you wouldn't teach it, but it works really well for him and and it's a it, it's a unique swing that that uh Bryant has worked on for years and and I think it works when he's healthy. Oh, let me just add to that real quick too cuz um Jamie did point out that obviously when you if you limit your field approach significantly depending on the hitter, that can impact the way pitchers approach you which can lead to more negative results. Great point. Uh I was going to respond exactly like Sahadev did that that I think Chris Bryant's just kind of a unique animal in terms of what his swing mechanics are that there, it isn't necessarily going to be about the approach of pitchers that are going to dictate what he's doing, because I think his swing is just designed at all quadrant, all quadrants of the strike zone to do a certain thing. And it's just not going to be conducive to, um, you know, having the pitch get deep so that you can go the other way, kind of like a hobby bias where he's at his best when he's going the other way with authority. Um, uh, but, but, uh, fantastic question. And, um, yeah, anyone else that wants to reach out, uh, we are at wavelandathletic at gmail.com. We will, uh, you know, any questions, comments, feedback you want to offer. Obviously, you can do that through your various podcasting channels. But if you want to send the email and maybe we'll read it and get into your stuff, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So um, that's going to be it, I think, for today. We uh, will look forward to the Cubs kicking off their season tomorrow against the Pirates and overreacting to whatever the outcome of that game is, especially because uh, it is an extraordinary mismatch, even in the world where the Cubs are not like this 
Herculean team. It's Kyle Hendricks against Chad Cool and the Pirates. And so either outcome, you know, if the Cubs win, it's like, ah, see, they can handle business. And if they lose, it's like, they can't even beat the Pirates. Uh, so I look forward <laughs> to that. And uh, to that end, I will note, we are back into the regular season. So we will be getting back at you with uh, a regular twice a week podcasting schedule as we go forward. So make sure you are subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Give us the rate and review. Uh, make sure you are checking out Zahadev's and Patrick's great work at The Athletic, which, by the way, right now, if you go to theathletic.com slash Wavelend, you can get a $1 a month subscription deal, which is absurd. Uh, I, I pay more than that, and that's fine. I'm happy to, but you might as well check it out while you can get a great deal. So that's at theathletic.com slash Wavelend. And otherwise, we will be back at you soon as the Cubs get their season underway. So uh, I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. We thank you very much. Take care, and we will see you soon.